every preacher says that, but I mean it. Uh, there will be two to three closes to this sermon. I promise there will be two to three uh, closes. I'm just going to give you that up front. Um, so today I want to speak from the subject matter for a reason, for a season, uh, for a reason, for a season. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Genesis chapter 37. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to pull out your phone and touch it to Genesis 37. If you don't have the Bible app on your phone, I need you to get saved today. Because <laughs> obviously you are not a millennial Christian if you don't have the Bible app on your phone. Um, I'm looking at Genesis chapter 37. It's on the screen. We're going to start at verse 1, I believe. Let me uh, get to my here notes. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to be here. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain of transfiguration with Moses and Elijah and the other prophets, the, the disciples, Peter, James, and John said, man, it's good for us to be here. And I think these type of experiences for you as a college student are transfiguration type moments. These are what I like to call exclamation points of your spiritual journey. Uh, you can have a great small group and I believe some of you all do. You can have a great large group, and I believe some of you all do. Uh, you notice I said some, because some of y'all still working on it, you know, I mean, it's developing, that's okay. But there's nothing like coming together with people who you don't know and people who you do know and doing what the Bible teaches in John chapter four, where he says, I am now looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And so I just saw that in so many ways today, in the ways that um, the dance was uh, occurring and in the worship that you all engaged in this morning. And so uh, it's so good to see you all do that. All right, everybody got it? If you don't have it, say, hold up, wait a minute. All right. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 37. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. So that means he stayed where his daddy stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, everybody say 17, 17. was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhad and the sons of Zilpah. His father's wives, he had more than one, and he brought their father a bad report about them. And so now Israel loved Joseph, Israel is also the name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons and because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Somebody say, hate us. Hate us. And could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. Somebody say, a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother says to him, do you intend to reign over us, little boy? I'm sorry, that was the Negro International version. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of that today, all right? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream. Somebody said another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Why are you telling them a second time? Like, they already hate you. So now you're about to, like, make it worse, right? So it says, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bound out of me. So that's mom and daddy. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph was 17 years old when he had this dream, the age that you were probably your senior year of high school. Now, at that stage of life, at 13, you became a man. So he had already been through the circumcision experience of having the foreskin of his genitals cut and healed, which if you can do that, you're a grown man. You know, say you, you're a grown man. And so 
concern I have is that I doubt that Joseph had the humility to tell his brothers his dream in a way that they could receive it well. Because 17-year-olds tend to be cocky and don't really understand the consequences of their choices. And so he didn't really help them get on board with his vision. And so as a result of the fact that he had favor with his father and his brothers decided to sell him into slavery and fake his death, causing a near heart attack for his father, Jacob. And the Bible says that God was with Joseph. Key passage you see from chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50. God was with Joseph. Not only did Joseph um, get sold into slavery, but he ended up becoming a slave at Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a ruler in the area. And so Joseph became a slave, but he, because God was with him, he became the chief slave. He became the H-N-I-C, the head Negro in charge, okay? And as a result of the favor he had with Potiphar, and the authority he had, the leadership he had, the skills he had, he looked good, he was strong, he was young, had testosterone. <laughs> Potiphar's wife looked at him and said, you got more than my husband got. So she said, come on, lay down, bro. Put it on me. And he said, um, I'm not going to sleep with my master's wife. You are forbidden. How darest thou asking me to touch it to you? <laughs> and she said, please. Ladies, don't ever tell a man, please. Don't, don't ever tell a man, please. But Joseph had this understanding of his purpose where he resisted Real temptation. Now, temptation is made up of two components, desirability and availability, okay? Halle Berry is desirable to me, but she is not available to me. She's not in my digits right here, you know? I can't call her. But like, hey, girl, let's hook up. You 50, I'm 40. Let's hook up. Okay, I have no availability to her. But the girl on my job who compliments me, that's a real temptation because she live in the community, and she got my number, and she... Is on Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, all that. See, that's a real temptation. Then you got to make a decision. People talk all the time, I can't believe they fell. You don't know what they fell to because the temptation was real. But Joseph resisted, and he experienced what many African-American people experience here in America. He was convicted of sexual assault and sexual harassment for a crime he did not commit. Okay, okay. So you gotta read the Bible and the newspaper at the same time. <laughs> so you got a false incarceration situation because a person in power made a decision to do something that was unfounded from a legal perspective. He just believed the word of his wife. Adam believed the word of his wife. Job didn't believe the word of his wife. When Job's wife said, curse God and die, he said, man, you don't sound like my wife. Go <laughs> over there and marry our kids. Okay? So now what happens is, he's now in jail for something he did not do. Sexual assault, sexual harassment, doing time for something he didn't do. But God was with him. So while he was in jail, he became the head in the jail. Started running stuff in the jail. And while he was in prison, the penitentiary, so to speak, he got an opportunity to hang out with some key individuals. I forgot to put the scripture up there, but there it is. He got, he, he got involved with a couple of key individuals who were strategically positioned in the president's administration. Can I make it contextualized today? Okay, so he had the chief of staff and he had the head chef, the person who ran people and ran food. Now, if you run people or food, you are in control. Because you can kill a brother with some food, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and if you run the people, you know, you can kill a brother's reputation. And so there he is, and he allowed his gift of interpreting dreams to be developed to the point that while he was in the pen, he got an opportunity to demonstrate and develop the gift that God had given him. 
So they start telling him these dreams that they had, and he starts interpreting the dreams. And they say, man, when we get out and we get back into the administration, because we will, we will not forget you. Two years later, Joseph's still in the pen. These brothers back on the job, making money, living life. And Pharaoh has a dream. The president has a dream. And he's like having nightmares. He can't figure out what's going on with his dreams. And so eventually what he decided to do was to talk to his chief of staff and to his head chef. And they said, oh, man, this is dude in the pen we forgot to tell you about. His name is Joe. And Joe can interpret dreams. And so he called Joe out of prison. I can imagine he had his chains on him and his orange suit. You know what I'm saying? He walked in, you know, to the Oval Office. And while he's sitting there, you know, he asked, can I have some tea and cookies? And Pharaoh said, well, tell me, can you interpret this dream first? And so Joe goes on to interpret the dream. And it's actually so accurate that the dream interpreters in the administration could not deny that it was a reality. And the people around the president, Pharaoh, could not deny that it was a reality. And so what happened was he got promoted from prison to the palace. So you got an ex-con now consulting for the president. The vice president of the United States of Egypt is a con. Ex God. He got a pardon from the president so he could serve without a felony on his record. All right. uh, Presidents have an opportunity to pardon people, and it's all up to what they need done. Okay. And so we need to pray for our president. <laughs> and some of these individuals who he put in jail for stuff that don't really matter can be pardoned. So imagine that Joseph is now vice president overseeing FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Association, right? The organization that helps to recover what is going on when the nation messes up. So they're going to have this famine, this drought, and food isn't going to be available. The grocery stores are going to be empty. So he starts storing up resources to make sure that over these seven years of this famine, they got the money and the resources that they need. And so the story goes, Joseph is chilling in the White House, and his brothers come to the White House to get some FEMA money. Okay. And when they show up, they don't recognize Joseph, because Joseph got a little beard now. He grew his hair out and did dreads, okay? And he was a lot more stocky. He had a deeper voice. He could gain some weight. And so they didn't recognize the brother. Plus, back then, dudes wore makeup. So he had some concealer on, you know, some base, some eyeliner. You know what I'm saying? So they didn't really recognize the bro, right? And so sure enough, they're asking for what is necessary in order to help their family survive. He makes them go home and get their brother, Benjamin, the one that he loved. They bring him back, and then he says, I am Joseph. All of a sudden, they get scared. They're like, uh-oh, he can kill us, and we deserve to die. But Joseph says in, John, I mean, in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil. God meant for good. So now Joseph has not only gotten the ability to move up into the administration, but he has gotten his spiritual GED, his spiritual Bachelor of Science, his spiritual Master of Science, and his PhD while in Potiphar's house and prison. And God allows him to help his entire family and the whole nation because he was positioned to do so as a result of his journey. At every point of Joseph's journey, he was there for a reason, but only for a season. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, life is, life is seasonal. seasonal. Oh my God, you got to get this. Life is, yes, life is seasonal. seasonal. The time I tried to commit suicide was because I didn't believe in the seasonality of life. That's good, sir. First time I tried to commit suicide was because I tried to apply for a car loan and I got denied. And I thought, my credit is so bad, I will never be able to buy anything. Who's going to marry me with credit on life support? I almost just drove myself off the road in the car that my parents had given me. Mm. But then I thought about it, and I was like, you know, my score could change. Yes. Yes. Made a 34 on an economics test at the University of Texas. Walked to my Spanish class, cried, and thought about leaving. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, but, 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 but seasons change. 
Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners, nor stand, uh, uh, take a sit, sit. I'm so used to the King James, which I learned, so I can't do the NIV. Hold on, let me read it instead of quoting it. All right. Blessed. Yeah, there we go. Stand in the way. <laughs> yeah, okay, so blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, somebody say delight, is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Somebody say in season. And whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. Name it and claim it. Grab it and blab it. Follow out good your hair. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ability to have holistic shalom in your life. Peace that lets you sleep when everybody else is up. Not so the wicked, he said. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Listen, godly people go through seasons for a reason and you will not always yield fruit. So don't get discouraged in your fruitless seasons because you are there for a reason but for only a season. See, that 34 in economics wasn't saying I couldn't do business. It just said I had a hard time understanding that concept. And the good thing about a test is it lets you know what you do know and what you don't know. And what I figured out right then was I did not need to be an economics major. <laughs> so I eliminated that one from my list of majors that were necessary. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there is a time for everything, everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. It says a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, that movie, uh, a time to heal. <laughs> A time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Yes, stop touching each other. Uh, A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep. Oh, oh, wait, to search. Okay, you've been searching for boo, boo ain't there yet. Stop. Just wait. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing, not she. That makes herself findable. Swipe left. <laughs> a time to keep and a time to throw away. Some of these relationships, y'all, in, you just need to throw it away. Like, do like we used to do back in the 80s. Loose it and let it go. Just let it go. They are not God's choice for you. That ain't even in my notes. It's just prophetically coming out. People like, especially if you don't lay together, there are these hormones called oxytocin and vasopressin that cause what we call a spiritual soul tie. This is the chemical side of it, though. So what happens is you feel close to them. You want to get out and you can't because it's like two pieces of tape that are stuck together with adhesive on either side. Okay. And you can't tell the paper without a piece of you going with them and a piece of them going with you. And you're like, why can't I stop? Because you weren't made to stop. God made you to have sex with one person for the rest of your life. Every second you have. Okay, wait a minute. It depends on the season. Depends on the season. Depends on the season. The reality is, God never meant for you to stop. So here you are trying to turn off a faucet. And you got a fire hydrant coming out of you. <laughs> and you're like, why can't I turn it off? Because you opened a spout that did not, was not made with a stopper. So now you got to go to the God who created you and ask him to make some new parts. You got to say, okay, God, you said I should not lay with a person that is not my spouse. I have laid with a person that is not my spouse. So forgive us, thou me. I confess my sin and acknowledge that it is against your will. Now, help me, Holy Ghost, to not touch them in the world. And when I want to touch them, help me to find the room for escape. There is a door. There's always a door. And the question is, will you walk through it 
or will you just let God keep knocking? I done been there before. You'd be like, I hear you, God. But your word says, first John 1 and 9, if I confess my sin, your grace is sufficient. First Corinthians. All this stuff, we be like manipulating the scripture. Manipulate. Man. You're the scriptures to make it say what we want to say. Okay, so here we go. Uh, time to tear down, time to mend, time to be silent, time to speak, time to love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. So listen, you may be in a cold winter where friends are giving you the cold shoulder. But hang in there. Because you're only there for a reason and only for a season. Now, you may be in a drying fall where it seems like all opportunities you were depending on are drying up. Somebody say scholarship. Hang in there because you're there for a reason but only for a season. You may be going through a scorching summer where everything you're trying to do seems to burn in your face. But hang in there because you're there for a reason but only for a season. You may be going through a spring where fruit is budding on the tree and you can't wait to pull it. But I'm telling you, be patient. Because you're there for a reason, but only for a season. Here's the second principle you need to understand. Not only is life seasonal, but seasons change. So the devil wants you to lose hope because you might be in a tough season, but hang in there because seasons change. You may have had a dream at 17 years old of what you wanted to do in life to make a difference and a dollar. See, I believe you can make both a difference and a dollar. I don't think you have to deny the dollar to make a difference, but you can't choose to worship the dollar you got to make the difference first. The people pay for difference makers. I just helped somebody right there. Scrap your resume and figure out how am I making a difference? Not what my, my GPA is. How am I making a difference? Okay? Don't give up if your grades are on life support and your change is strange. Because it's just a season. And seasons change. I want you to know that if that you are at your university for a reason, but only for a season. I'm begging you, pleading with you, maximize this season. What schools do we have in the house? I see some universities. The University of Texas in the house. Baylor, Baylor, like they be looking like sexual assault. <laughs> um, sorry, that's not cool because they did have that happen on the campus. That's not cool. Father, forgive me. Father, know what I can do. Alright, um, any other schools here? Uh, UTD? UTD in the house? Alright, so listen, listen, listen. God sent you. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. But y'all taking up my time, and then they're going to sit me down. Okay, so God sent you to your university for a reason, but only for a season. You are in class an average of 15 hours a week. So what that means is there are 153 hours a week that you can use to live out your purpose beyond the classroom. So back in mind, I work 50 to 60 hours a week. Because I work two, three, four jobs like a Jamaican. I got my salary job to pay for my living, but I got these side jobs to pay for my life. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to pay for my vacation out of my salary. Okay, okay. Pay for my vacation out of my hood hustle. <laughs> so you always want to have a hood hustle. That's a side gig you can do when you need some money. Uber is a good hood hustle. DJing is a good hood hustle. Uber Eats, if you don't feel comfortable having people in your car, Postmates is a good Hood hustle. Maybe you can cut hair, but get licensed. You know what I'm saying? Get licensed now. All that bootleg cutting. You ain't obeying the laws of land. Romans chapter 13. All right, so. Secondly, you live in close proximity to more people in your age of life than you will ever live in with again. Man, when I was a college student, I was so busy trying not to get infected by sinners, I isolated myself with Christians. Say that. So instead of sharing my faith as an RA in the dorm, I'm trying to do another concert with the gospel choir. I had built-in opportunities to share my faith. Okay. They had to live next to me, and they had to listen to me. But I was like, if I hang around them, I'm not going to be saying them. I'm going to get sick. 
get HIV, hell infection virus. And that's not curable by the power of the Holy Ghost. So I was trying to keep. What I was taught to do was separate yourself. What I understood is I needed to be immersing myself and being an incarnational witness. More than just being an example, I needed to be a verbal witness to what Christ was doing in my life. And so maximize this season. Right now, I live in a neighborhood, a cul-de-sac, beautiful home that God just blessed us with. Here's the reality, though. All my neighbors work a lot. And all of them drive to the house, and they pull into the garage. And they close the garage, and they watch Netflix, Hulu, all that kind of stuff. So when I was in college, people went to the same bathroom together. Like, they took showers in a community, like, y'all don't, don't have community showers in shower school no more, they don't do that no more. Oh, y'all got money? Yeah, back then, we, we, I mean, we, 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 we had a curtain, we had a curtain, but all of us walked down the hall. They don't do that no more? Y'all got shower shoes and stuff, see, back then we was broke, we was. So, Father, I rebuke the anti-fungal. All right, I also want to challenge you not to, listen to this right here, I want to challenge you not to bow down to the God of academics and miss your assignment. Good grades are good, but living out your purpose is godly. Am I telling you not to go to class? No. Am I telling you not to do your homework? No. Am I telling you to drop out of school? No. What I'm saying is, don't let academics be your God. Don't miss a moment to share your faith because you were so focused on making straight A's that you missed your assignment. We read the story of the Good Samaritan. You got a priest and a Levite, a preacher and a worship leader, who walked by the man, and the Samaritan, the biracial dude, who was considered to be unclean, is the one that actually put his credit card at the hotel and touched this man with oils and made sure that he got well. You are making an A, missing your assignment. Don't be so focused on getting into graduate school that you don't graduate spiritually. You are here to get a natural education, but more importantly, you are here to get a spiritual education. So do both and grow up in your maturity of the faith as Ephesians 4 teaches us. And then you got to learn to prioritize for your purpose. i got a whole book webinar on this stuff. Because some of y'all are leading in too many organizations. You can't be president in four things and graduate. So make a decision. Like, you can be a member, but you can't be 12 on 12 leadership teams. I know there are a whole lot of black people on some of our campuses. I understand the people, PWIs, we like got to do it all. You know what I'm saying? Got to be everything. We in BSA, the gospel choir, praise the Lord. That's not our society, five capital, you know, whatever we gotta do, right? Here's the reality. Jesus left the earth to leave something for his disciples to do. The God of all creation, embodied in Jesus Christ, left so that 12 disciples could do his job. That's good. So I'm asking you to replace yourself. Get fired from one of these leadership organizations. Now, this is what happened to me. I'll tell you a story. Real quickly. And I'm going to connect it through the scriptures. All right, so Proverbs 19, 21. Let me see if it's on the screen. Yeah, there we go. Many other plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So if you want to figure out what God wants, like if you want to figure out what you need to do, figure out what God wants done, get in his face, and do it, right? Because you can have a whole lot of plans, but his purpose will prevail. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. Somebody say a gift. Which means you cannot earn it. So 12 Bible studies a week will not get you into heaven any quicker than what? Now, I went to seven of them a week when I was a freshman. I was just hungry. That was the only time I didn't go was on Saturday because nobody had one. Everybody was out enjoying themselves. Not by works so that no one can boast. Nobody can take credit for their salvation. For you are God's handiwork, his poema, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus. When you got saved, do good works, ergon, the English word ergonomics comes from the Greek word ergon, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So God has already set up what he wants you to do. 
So your job is to figure that out and work in it. Now, you ain't going to figure it all out right now. Take the pressure off. You don't need to know your major today. I used to work in the Career Exploration Center. I help people change majors all the time. I changed mine four times. I was an elementary education major, tutor, and figured out I couldn't do classroom management. Then I was like, I'm going to write a magazine about black pastors and churches. Because I was going to a really cool black church with a cool black pastor. To magazine journalism. Now I realize I don't want to write the magazine, I want to own the magazine. So I changed the corporate communication. But then I discovered I don't want to do the business side, I want to actually counsel people and be a marriage counselor. So then I changed to communication studies with an emphasis in human relations and a minor in business. That's what I ended with. 144 hours later, <laughs> I got to be bringing $100,000 worth of debt. But all of it God is using for his purpose. Now, Romans 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, the Greek word metamorpho, which means to be changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind, what you think matters. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, here's the part I want you to understand. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. So don't have a drunk understanding of yourself. Don't be intoxicated on yourself. As my parents used to say, stop smelling yourself. <laughs> In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So let me just break this down real quick. You got a measure of faith when you got saved. Some of y'all got a teaspoon. Some of y'all got a cup. Some of y'all got a drip. And here's the reality. God ain't judging you on what you got. He's judging you on what you develop. That's all it. So he says, use your gifts in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. Some of y'all have a prophetic gift, but you're not really sure in it yet. And so you get into a small group and you say, you know, I really feel like the Lord might be saying that you should consider joining the gospel choir. And the person's like, wow, you know, God was telling me about that the other day. Because prophecy is confirmation, not new information. So no prophet should ever come to you and tell you something you ain't already heard from God. It's for edification, the building up of the body. It's not to tear you down. We used to have prophets growing up, man, they tell all your business. God says you're sleeping with 12 people. He says get free today. You know, I wouldn't sin for 48 hours before I went to church. I'd be like, let me, 48 hour rule. If I can keep that sin out the atmosphere for 48 hours, then the prophet won't tell my business. So the Bible says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But it does not say, do not think of yourself highly. Right. You should think of yourself highly. You are created in God's image. You are his workmanship. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But don't think of yourself more highly than you are. Don't think you can do stuff you can't do. Okay. Humility is being not more than you are, but not being less than you are. Stop powering down for people who are insecure. That's good. Don't hide your gifts because your girlfriend don't like it. Act like you can't speak because you're afraid somebody will call you a preacher. You bootleg anyway. Might as well go and get a license and start making some money. I mean, ministering. Ministering. <laughs> so tap into that. Okay, then finally, Revelation 22, 12 through 13. This is so important. It says, look, Jesus said, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Same word, ergon, that we see in Ephesians 2. So... He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Your salvation, based on your faith in Christ's work on the cross, gives you residency in heaven when you die. But your works determine your zip code in heaven. Now, I don't want to live in the hood on earth and then live in the hood on heaven. Like, why be poor on earth and then be in a low position in heaven? There's going to be a millennial reign where Jesus Christ comes back and we are going to reign. And your role in that millennial reign is going to be based on did you do what God called you to do? Right. It's not did you do what you wanted to do. The Bible says in Matthew 7, many will say, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. He'll say, pardon me, I don't have a relationship with you. Because wow. my gifts and callings are irrevocable according to Romans 11, 29, which means I'm not taking them back, but I won't bless it. You got your reward on earth. So here's the thing, if I hire you to be my administrative assistant, don't do accounting for me. 
People want to get paid for jobs God didn't give them. Okay. We get to heaven, God. I sang in the choir, but you can't sing. It's called deception. Deception. You sit up here. How many of y'all watch American Idol? What's the first three weeks of American Idol? Bad singers. And, and you know, their mama been lying to them. Baby, you did good. You lied. Oh, no, what happened? They be getting all mad, yelling in the camera and stuff. It's like somebody lied to you. You know you're called to do something. Write this down. It ain't in my notes, but write this down. We teach this and prioritize for your purpose. You know you're called to do something if it's something you've been doing most of your life. Okay. Dr. Brenda Sartre McNeil taught me this. She's a professor at Seattle Pacific University. Salton and Dale Associates, former university staff. Okay, you've been doing it most of your life. Number two is something you do better than most. Yeah. So you're a seven, eight, or nine, not a one, two, or three on a scale of 10. Something you do better than most comes relatively easier to you. Number three is something that other people affirm in you. So if you get through singing, they're like, thank you. Beautiful. You contributed to the service. Okay? And some other people affirm they be like, man, girl, you can sign. And then number four, you would something you would do if you did not get paid for it. Right. See, some of y'all are looking for purpose to produce a paycheck, and God wants to know when you do it for purpose before the paycheck. Okay. God wants to see you do it for free 99, and then he'll fill you to allow you to fulfill your financial obligations. Paul was a tent maker for a season. He said, shoot, whatever I gotta do, I, I've learned to live a bound, I've learned to build a base, if I got to work, if I got to, what I need to do, I appreciate you giving, and God's gonna supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory because you gave, but if you don't give, I know how to get my money by making some tents, all right? People are like, man, I wanna be a motivational speaker and make $2,000 a speech tomorrow. You got to do some free speeches first to like 12 elementary students out of school who can't stay awake while you speak. Can you run that vial for one time? Yes. Rewind. Okay, here we go. Number one is something. All right. Somebody recording. Okay, it's something. You know you're called to do something. This is according to Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil of Salter McNeil Associates and Seattle Pacific University. I have to give her credit, okay, because I heard this at Urbana 2000 and changed my world, okay? Something that you've been doing most of your life, like I've been a leader my whole life. I was in the playground saying, hey y'all, let's go, and people follow, that's just who I've been, right? <laughs> Number two, something you would do that you do better than most. So I used to get ends in school for talking because I was born to talk. Yeah. Yes, sir. They'd be like, stop talking so much. I'm like, you don't understand, that's the way God made me. <laughs> I can't shut up. Right? It's like, fire! Shut up in my phone. Alright, number three is something that other people affirm in you. And number four, something you would do even if you didn't get paid for it. So here's the question you want to ask yourself. What is my season and why? What is the reason for it? So you're a student right now. Why? Why did God let you be a college student? When less than 10% of the American population gets to go to college. Oh. Less than 1% of the world population gets to go to college. Why? You're single right now, not married. Most of y'all. Why? Maybe so you can devote yourself to the things of God for a season. Yes. So you can go on a mission trip and ain't got to ask permission from your spouse. Yeah. So you can live on ramen noodles and chicken for a little while while you build your business. You ain't got no kids right now. Why? Glory, he had a great right now. Bible said, but for the grace of God, right? And here's the thing. Maybe you don't have no kids right now because you're selfish. Selfish people aren't good parents. Because when you have a kid, you give yourself away. Your sleep, your money, your time, your energy. You don't have a full-time job right now. Why? Maybe God wants you to build relationships with people that are going to be friends for the rest of your life. Yes. So that when you start building your business like I am now, I can call people who are now multi-millionaires and be like, hey, man, I need $100,000. And they'd be like, i give you 10. I'm like, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
you raise it real high, and they drop it low, but it's still high enough, you know what I mean? It's a sales tactic. See, we was gonna charge you $16.97 for this workshop, but for today only, $197. They already knew they were gonna charge you $197. You're a part of the varsity, wow. Maybe God wants you to be trained so that you can graduate and go make a difference in the local church. How many churches y'all know ain't got no developed leaders? There's people that can recruit leaders, but they can't develop leaders. There are people that develop leaders, but they don't support leaders. There are people that recruit, develop, support, but they don't send. So maybe God is trying to position you so you can make a difference in the kingdom long term. You're on your campus. Why? There may be a ministry inside of you that is designed to help a couple who's eventually going to get married and have three kids. And you're going to help that young lady figure out how to be the woman she needs to be to love her husband and respect him. Maybe God wants you to talk somebody out of suicide so their purpose is not avoided early. That's good. Maybe God got you with that racist roommate so they can figure out that black people aren't like everything they've seen on TV. Like you get A's and stuff. And they're like, how do you get A's? Because Africans are smart. <laughs> Our whole history, we've been smart. We built the doggone pyramids, man. <laughs> peanut butter. We did peanut butter, man. There is no PBJ without a brown brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're in your major. Wow. Yeah. I love you so much. Why are you in your major? You're, exactly. You're like, I don't know. That's something you need to ask the Holy Ghost. You're like, Lord, why am I in this major? Yes, Lord. I was asking God, after two years of elementary education, why, was I, why did I take elementary ed if I wasn't going to be a school teacher? Because I was going to have a kid one day and I need to understand child development so I don't make my three-year-old act six. Right. Parents, we want their kids to sit down and be quiet. They three. They don't sit down and be quiet. That's not what they do. Oh, European style of education we do in our system that teaches people you got to sit down and shut up to get educated. That's if you were in Africa, you'd be like, four plus four, you'd be like, uh, uh, four plus four, you'd be like, I said, four plus four, you'd be like, uh, uh, four plus four, you'd be like, I said, we got four, uh, we got four, uh, what are you doing? We wouldn't be sitting there like, doing timetables and stuff, we'd be putting four potatoes together, tomatoes, bunches of greens, braids, clippers. I'm going to share my story and I'm going to let you go. You ain't got no money. Why? Why are you broke right now? I'm going to tell you why you broke right now. I'm going to tell you why. You want to know why? You broke because God wants to figure out can you trust him with nothing. And as soon as you figure out how to trust him with nothing, he's going to give you something. And the question is, when he gives you something, are you going to tithe? Are you going to support your university staff? Are you just going to keep going to like Starbucks and sewing your seed in a hole that ain't producing no spiritual fruit? Alright, let me share my story real quick and I'm going to let you go. That's the first close to the sun. Alright, so this is me. I grew up in church. Can y'all drop one of these lights real quick so they can see the blackboard? The blackboard. I'm wearing all black. See that front light? Okay. This is me, seventh grade. My dad was a pastor in the Church of God in Christ. So we went to church every day of the week. Yes, sir. Monday, Tuesday. Young people meet Tuesday, old people meet Wednesday, all people meet. Bible day and Thursday, choir rehearsal. Friday, youth, youth, youth practice. Saturday, joy night. Sunday morning, Sunday school, 945, worship, 11. For the some people left 15. And then a three o'clock service after you got two pieces of chicken and a biscuit. Yeah. And then you had six o'clock yes. YPWW, young people willing to work. There wasn't nobody willing, but we was there. Yes, sir. Working. Yes, sir. And then you had night service. Yes. And these services did not have a time limit because people had to get demons cast out and they had to tarry on the altar to get the Holy Ghost. So you sit there like, thank you, thank you, thank you. So you trip up into a tongue. That's, 
We had our girl So I wore suits to school because all my clothes came from the pastor's aide who went to garage sales to buy us clothes from the people who had money on the other side of town. So I was a nerd. My nickname was Urkel. Like Steve Urkel from Family Man. Well, the Lord didn't like him. That's the problem. The Lord didn't like him. So I started singing in church at four, started teaching Sunday school at eight to six-year-olds because I could read. Started speaking at 12, but I had low self-esteem and I was an outcast. Because I was different. And I wanted to be like everybody else, okay? But I was different. I dated this one girl, she said, Corey, you're too serious. I said, but life is serious. She said, not at 12. <laughs> you understand, I got stuff to do. And I want to go to hell. But boy, they scared the hell out of you in my church. Boy, you watch. Movies of hell, <laughs> movies of uh, Nero's chopping block. When you know the tribulation, you get your neck chopped off by yes. you know, machete type thing. You know, I mean, they scared yes. the hell out of you. Yes. So then, this is what happened. I went from being Urkel to being Urkel, <laughs> and I became student body president, homecoming king, had eight scholarships to come to UT. Right? Okay. Yeah, that paid for first year, but that's it. <laughs> And I lost one of them because my GPA dropped below 3.5. But I came to UT in a program called Preview, which was for 75 black, 75 Hispanic students. And I got, not, no, 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 no. And so, while there, I got connected to some people that are doing some amazing things today, right? And I got involved in Intervision's Gospel Choir, okay? And I got involved in Gamma Phi Delta Christian Fraternity. Incorporated. All right, so here's the thing. What did I need as a freshman in college? I needed not to know my own spiritual identity. I had a little bit of that. I needed to own my faith, but I needed to own my ethnic identity. I was a white man in a black body. Because I grew up in a community where being black was not good. And so when I went homecoming king, black people didn't vote for me because I wasn't black enough. So we had a black table in Jester when we sat around and figured out what it meant to be black. And we found out that all of us had lynches on our TVs. See, y'all know about that. We all had bacon grease on the ledge of our window above. Y'all know about that. We, we had parents that would whip us with a belt or a station cord or a switch. So when I started, I was like, oh my God, I'm black. And you got to make the right noise. Yes. I needed that. So, I became the chaplain of Intervisions my sophomore year, taught Bible study for a whole year to juniors and seniors and freshmen and sophomores. That was leadership development. God was preparing me. Then I became the president of Intervisions for three years. There's never been a person that's been president for three years. For three years, I was the president. I was learning to pastor at 20 years old. I didn't know it. Making mistakes. But the consequences are so big. See, I can mess up with 25, 30, 40, 50 students, but if I mess up at a church of 3,500, we got a problem. Okay. So guys, I'm going to let you mess up here before anybody knows. Then we recorded this CD, raised $8,000. I wrote and produced 80% of it. God was teaching me I was going to have to raise money to do ministry. Then I got elected to student government, and UT is like running for city council. 50,000 people got to vote. You got to win a majority vote. And I won. And we were recording this album. And in the middle of the first semester, God said, quit. I said, what? He said, quit. I said, what, sir? <laughs> he said, quit. I said, why? He said, because you got to choose between student government and intervisions. And intervisions is what only you can do. Student government, other people can do. So I cried as I confessed to them that I was going to have to resign so I could focus on my spiritual leadership role. And my wife was my girlfriend at the time, brought a balloon over, a grieving balloon, and a card. And we prayed, and I figured out how to let this amazing honor go away. I met my wife while at UT, April, and we graduated, and I started working at UT as an admissions advisor, and I started teaching a Bible study on Tuesday nights called The Real World, as a part of a ministry that was a part of a local church. Seven people were coming. 
And we had transparencies back then. We didn't have PowerPoint. <laughs> so I was going to the computer lab printing color transparencies on my student account. What is a transparency? Let me explain. A transparency is plastic you put on a light that shines on a screen. And you have these dry erase markers you write on there. And it Yeah, yeah, so, listen, I'm almost done. That's the second couple. All right. I go to Urbana 2000. And at Urbana 2000, God spoke to me. And he said, Corey, you're called to quit your job and work for InterVarsity. I said, but God, I'm dating a young lady whose parents live in Plano. In <laughs> a 4,000 square foot house. She will leave me. He said, are you willing to follow me? I said, my pastor don't believe in parachurch ministry. He will cut me. He said, are you going to obey me or man? I said, how about I obey you by obeying your man? How can we do that? <laughs> for some reason, I came back from Urbana after getting called into this ministry of reconciliation, telling InterVarsity, I'm going to come on staff. They're like, you know what? Ain't no black people. I said, okay. They said, you know, we're going to hurt you in the process. I said, somebody got to do it. I was so naive and young and dumb that I didn't know the cost. So I just said yes, because Jesus said so. Yeah. And so I quit my job. I tell my girlfriend, I'm going to leave my job and go work for the bar. She said, what took you so long? Oh. You should have been doing full-time ministry two years ago. I was like, Yeah, my pastor. My pastor signed the agreement to let me work for InterVarsity. I was like, oh my God. So I show up to the regional black, I mean, there wasn't no regional black anything. I show up to the regional staff conference in August. There are 40 staff and me. And everybody knew who I was. Hey, Corey, hey. I'm like, hey. <laughs> Y'all all look the same to me. Hey. Which one of you again? And I literally felt like a free agent, man. I felt like I had been signed. Because they had been working on me for two years. Doing lunch with David Hankey for two years. Came on staff. Started the Bible study. 2001. September 11, 2001. I proposed to my wife October the 9th, 2001. And that was smart, because I told the people the week before I was going to propose, that's good outreach. 89 people showed up that night. And I said, will you marry me? Will you be the one forevermore? For richer or for poor? Stay by my side, the love abide. Will you marry me? Will you come and make my life complete? Will you be the one that stays for eternity? No, baby. Will you marry me? And she said, yes. Yes. But her parents said I had to wait four years to do it. So I'm thinking, oh my God, four years, we negotiated down to a year and eight months, okay? So I get married June of 2003. The fellowship grows to 130 students. And I lose my pastor and I lose my church. I went from being a preacher in training to being an usher. Because I couldn't afford the $600 preaching and training class. I leave in a varsity after four years going on staff at a church. I think I got a picture of this somewhere. Oh, that's me with my TG efforts back in the day. Here comes the staff team. You see how diverse it was. <laughs> and uh, these were the jackets we had. We were on campus. TGF. I was a shepherd. My name was a shepherd. I would put it on, but it don't fit no more. And so, I do this ministry, man, and this is me and Sean back when Sean is like 
18, 19 years old, right? TDL, we changed the campus one night at a time. Okay, so I go on staff, break my Zion Church, maturity and ministry pastor. Hey, oh. When I got there, we had 500 members. When I left, we had 3,500. I was overseeing 18 ministries, 500 people, and making more money than I ever made in my entire life, and God told me to leave and start a church. Now, I thought I was starting my church with a denomination that was going to pay $120,000 over four years, or three years, to help us get started. So I communicate that I'm leaving. In six months, I get told I'm leaving tomorrow. So then, my wife, who's working there as well, gets told she's leaving next month. So then I become unemployed, homeless, on food stamps, with a college degree, and my wife got a master's degree. And I was like, now God, you, you told me to leave. So I lose another church, and I lose another pastor. Then I do a 16-week internship, and the denomination says, you don't have what it takes to start a church. Go home, get a job, we'll be in touch. So I lose 120 grand. I was thinking 60 grand salary plus benefits. Now I'm selling cars at CarMax. For a reason. For a season. Guess what happened to CarMax? I became the pastor at CarMax. Come on now. People who didn't know Jesus would say, hey man, I hear about this tithing thing. I make $85,000 a year. I'm supposed to tithe on that? I said, well, the Bible says. And me and my girl, we've been kind of together for a while. We've been living together. What do you think? Well, the Bible says. I drink, but I don't get drunk. What does the Bible say? The Bible say, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you interpret that. <laughs> Left CarMax, went on staff at National American University, became the pastor of National American University, walked a woman through eight miscarriages. Walked another woman through an abusive relationship and a divorce. Off the man through losing his child. God was like, I was like, God, I'm supposed to be in full-time ministry. He said, you are. The church just ain't paying the bills. Wherever I put you, you're in ministry. So now I work at a pregnancy resource center that helps men and women who have had abortions, who dealt with um, sexual abuse, who dealt with miscarriages. I've been running a sex ed program to 17,000 students a year. You think they're going to let a pastor come teach sex ed? <laughs> but every week I get to go help students think about waiting now I'm doing community outreach and my job is literally meeting with pastors all day to talk to them about our organization so I started this coaching company started doing life coaching, speaking um, we developed a church we're 8 years in now we have our pastor's appreciation next weekend over 300 people have come through the church we got about 50 there now so I want you to understand this. When God calls you to do something, he's not guaranteeing the results you anticipate. Genesis 6.22 says Noah did everything that God commanded him. What does that mean? He was successful. Not because he had a bunch of members on the boat. Because he did what God told him to do. There were eight people on the boat was successful. So every step was for a reason and for a season. So the question you want to ask yourself is, what could God teach me? The question I want to ask you is, let me see, what is this? Oh, that's, that's me. I wrote this book. Okay, so what, what, would God, what was God trying to teach me by asking me to quit my job? What was God trying to teach me by not giving me denominational support at the time? What was God trying to teach me by allowing me to lose the support of a church? Or lose? He was trying to teach me. What we in America have claimed as our model. It's okay, I don't need it no more. He's trying to teach me. Oh, I ain't got no money. Anybody got some money? A dollar? Anybody got a dollar? Cash? Yeah, let me see a dollar. A dollar, 10, 20. So let's see. Flow. No, I'm <laughs> On top of this money, it says Federal Reserve Notes. United States of America, one dollar. On the back, it says United States of America and God we trust. The slogan of our nation is we trust God. God was trying to get me to trust him. 
John 17 to 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus Christ, the one you sent. Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he said he will do. I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. That's the third close and I'm done. Faith is believing what you cannot see. We didn't see a ministry of black students in Texas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Faith is believing what you have not seen. We have never seen it before, but we believe. Faith is believing what you may not see. Hebrews 11 says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't see the promise come to pass. So you got to trust God when you cannot trace him. You have to trust him when you cannot pace with him. You have to trust him when you can't comprehend him because he is okay. um, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's omniscient, so he knows all things. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. He is God and we are not. And so stop trying to be him. And let him lead you. My mom spent 25 years of dialysis. Three and a half hours, three times a week. Kidney failure. She didn't say why. She said, why not? And my mom, for 25 years, ministered to people who couldn't go nowhere because they had to care for her. And when she died, 23 minutes before Easter, her Muslim doctor said, I've never seen faith like this. Now tell me, was that worth the reason? Was that worth 25 years of a season? She maximized her season. She developed two God-fearing sons who were preachers and a God-fearing husband who's pastored the same church for 30 years. She had 10 siblings. I said 10 siblings who all adore her. And many dialysis workers who saw God in her. When you leave the planet, you want to be able to say like Paul, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. I want to leave earth empty. I don't want to get to heaven and God show me on that HD screen what I could have did. But I was scared of what people think that don't have a heaven or hell to put me in. I was scared of what my family might think. He trying to be big. No, I'm trying to be impactful. I was worried about what my friends might think, what black people might think, what white people might think. The only person you got to answer to is God. So if he tell you to do something, do it. No questions asked. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Because if you obey him, there might be rooms full of people who are the legacy that you've invested in. You're going to get to heaven and meet people who knew people, who knew people, who knew people that you led to Jesus in 2018. You don't know. You might be leading the next Billy Graham to Christ. You might be leading the next President Obama to Christ. You might be leading the cure to cancer to Christ. Yeah. Yes. God ain't asking you to save, get everybody saved. He just asks you to be faithful. Mm. To do good deeds that lead to goodwill, that lead to the good news. So we try to share the good news without any good deeds. Okay. How are you going to ask somebody to come to your church and they've never been at your table? You never ate with them, but you want to come eat from the Word of God. Mm. See, that's American Christianity. Okay. Mm. Come on. Biblical Christianity said, let's eat together first. Because when you eat together, you're doing life together. Yeah. And all our disagreements come together on some food. We can agree to disagree on politics, but this chicken is good. <laughs> and we build a relationship around chicken until we start eating turkey or pork or whatever. But over time, You'll see God use the gifts and the abilities he's given you. I would have never dreamed when I said yes to God. That you will be here. But you are. 
And I pray that 20 years from now, you'll look back. You'll say, those were the best years of my life. And God built a foundation in me that prepared me for what he wanted me to do. If you don't get built up before you blow up, you will blow out. So let God build you up in this season. So you don't blow out at 25 with an affair after you become an international minister. So you don't blow out stealing money from your job after you become a CFO. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have made the decision to say yes to you. Thank you for the opportunity to live our lives in obedience to you. And I just ask God that they would embrace this season and the reason that you have planted them on their campuses for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.